0: Well, hello, everybody. This is Lena Abujamra checking back in with you on the Living With Power Hope podcast. We are getting ready for a lot. Summer's here, and we're excited about it. Summer's my favorite season of the year, and we're going to be winding things down with the podcast here for the next few weeks and then pick it back up in the fall. I know so many of you are probably going, yes, a chance to catch up. So do that, and you're going to have plenty to fix your mind on hope as you listen to a previous podcast but today we're gonna finish strong this season with a talk about marriage many of you guys know that uh, I am single and uh, probably not the best person to give advice on marriage but man do I know uh, the person to do that today so my friend Dorothy Greco is on and if nothing else her being married to her husband Christopher for 27 years should make her an expert but more than that she is the author of a book that was published in 2017 by david c cook called making marriage beautiful she has another book on marriage coming up because she couldn't fit it all in one book and so she's going to tell us more about what's coming up in 2020 uh, but this one is amazing i have met her through the um redbud writers guild of which i'm a member She is a leader there, has written for a number of magazines. I am convinced you've read some of her articles and probably just didn't pay attention if her name is not familiar. She's written for Christianity Today, uh, for Hermeneutics, Today's Christian Woman, Relevant Magazine, and on and on and on. Really um, so grateful for her testimony. Dorothy, I appreciate you so much, and I am excited to have uh, my friends meet you today. How are you doing? Great, and thank you for having me on the show. I'm happy to be here. That's awesome. Now you live in, uh, remind me, you're in Massachusetts or New England?
1: Yes, we're just outside of Boston.
0: Awesome. That is an awesome place to live. You're you're actually a graduate of Boston University, if I recall.
1: That's correct. And that's where my husband and I met back in 1981.
0: How about it? So tell us a little bit more about that. Were you a follower of Jesus at the time or were you guys uh, coming into the faith uh, after marriage?
1: We both became Christians at almost the same time, very independently. So for me, it was freshman year at college. I spent my first two years at Syracuse University and then transferred to BU. And for Christopher, who's three years younger than me, he came to the Lord when he was in high school um, so that when we got to BU, the way that we got to know each other was we were attending the same church. And then we were part of the University Christian Fellowship Group at BU, which was at that point very fledgling. There were only about 15 people. So we got to know each other very quickly. Um, And But we didn't start to date for, I think that we had been friends for six or seven years before we started dating each other. So it wasn't like an immediate, explosive, dynamic, romantic relationship. We were good friends for a long time.
0: Wow. And so, um, this school that you guys had a vibrant Christian environment in college, college has been on my mind. My niece goes to college this fall. She's going to a big uh, 10 school, University of Minnesota. And you always have this idea that when people are going to go to college, you know, all of this like crazy stuff is going to come into their life. They're going to veer off course and nosedive into some abyss of like existentialist (laughs) thinking. But but really, it seems like you had your formative years of the faith in college, huh? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So,
1: because I didn't grow up in a Christian household, our family went to church, but it was more about a social event than it was about anything deeply spiritual. So it wasn't until freshman year in high school when one of my classmates was a passionate um, just a passionate, passionate Christian, and every opportunity that he had to talk about Jesus and his relationship with Jesus, he took it, whether that was in the middle of calculus class or English class. So at times, many of us felt that he was annoying, but in retrospect, there are quite a few of us, both students and teachers, who were deeply influenced by his faith. So this was, this was in high school? Yeah, this was in high school. Um, so it took me like four years of really thinking about it and wrestling with, is this real, reading books before I felt really, truly ready to embrace, um, having, you know, changing my life so that it would be about Jesus and not just about me.
0: What was it about Jesus that intrigued you early on those years? Well, I would say even as a young, young
1: child, nature and beauty felt larger than life to me. There was something just deeply inviting about being in nature And that to me was the portal into the possibility of there being something more. And then in high school, as we began to talk about these issues of faith and I read books and I started actually reading the scripture, which I hadn't done before, it seemed very clear, very apparent to me that following Jesus, that the person of Jesus, um, he was unlike any other human being who had ever lived. And there was something that was so compelling about how he treated people and how he talked and how he taught and how he confronted, um, hmm. you know, it, unjust social structures that I just thought, yeah, I mean, if this is what it means to be a Christian, then I want in. Wow,
0: well, that's pretty awesome. Um, a lot of people sort of embrace Christianity and miss Jesus in the middle of it. And yet okay. he really is the central figure of it. And so um, you, you met Chris. He goes by Chris, your husband or Christopher? Christopher. Okay. And you guys dated for a while?
1: So we were friends all through those years of college, and then multiple years after. I actually had an out-of-state boyfriend, and it wasn't until that relationship came to a close that Christopher and I began to date, and we had a very um, conflictual first relationship. We dated for about a year and a half, and then he proposed, and I said yes, and we were engaged for about six months, and then he broke off the engagement and said he didn't want to talk to me ever again. (laughs) So we had two years completely apart where we didn't talk to each other. And then through yeah. a series of events, the Lord was just moving in both of our lives. We reconnected. And as we reconnected, it became very clear that we were different people. We had changed. We owned the mistakes that we made. And then we quickly started dating again, much to you know, the concern for many of our friends who I think mm. totally didn't trust him. Um,
0: um, but yeah, so the second time around, that's an, that's an interesting predicament. I mean, you know, you have a history and you come back together. I mean, this is, uh, you were pretty convinced at that point in your soul that he was worth, you know, being with, like you didn't, how did you fight? I think so many of us are so influenced by what people tell us about relational, you know, who we should be, we shouldn't be with. How did you fight that and stand on your feet and say, "No, nah, I know this is who God has for me. Well,
1: I think that both. Both Christopher and I believe that the Lord doesn't just have one person for us. I think that that's, I don't, I don't see any basis for that scripturally. So it didn't, Mm -hmm. it didn't feel like there was this pressure that we had to make this work. And then during those two years that we were apart, because it was clear that both of us had completely and utterly let go of the relationship. It did Mm -hmm. feel like when we started again, there was a newness about it. It was obviously healthy and so then we just had to give our friends and family, you know, time to get used to what was how it, how it had changed and how we
0: had changed. How long did you date then before you got engaged? That time, the second time we dated yeah. for four months. And then you were engaged for some time?
1: We were engaged for four months and then got married, yeah. So it was
0: much were quicker. Were you nervous at wedding? somebody would be like, you know, that moment where like anybody have any opposition that anyone would say anything or <laughs> were people pretty on board?
1: <laughs> no, because I think that he wrote a song for me, where, which was oh. essentially a very funny but very honest, um, you know, admission of what had gone wrong. And I think that really won people over. It was a very charming oh. song.
0: Oh, we want to hear it. Put us a link for after the podcast. So, of course, you're 27 years later, so proof's in the pudding, so to speak. But but you, you ended up, I mean, writing about marriage. So you're a writer. You've written about a ton of stuff. I mean, you, you, you think you're a thinker. I mean, I've appreciated that. How did you veer your way towards marriage? Did it find you? Did you have a longing to write about marriage?
1: I really didn't, Lena. I think that I would say that there were two reasons that motivated my pursuing this um, as a book. One was we, Christopher and I together had done about 20 years worth of pastoral care, Mm -hmm. um, both marital counseling, premarital classes, and then we have done long-term healing and discipleship programs in the context of a church. Mm -hmm. And I think that what we learned is that anybody who's married wants a vibrant, awesome, joy-filled marriage, but we don't always know how to get there. Um, mm-hmm. it's sort of like we can't just say that we want to be physically fit and then become physically fit like we have to train we have to be intentional about becoming in getting in shape and becoming physically fit and I think that there's an element of that in the context of marriage, and oftentimes we don't we don't think about it like that. And then the second motivating factor was that it came out of a personal need for us. It was a it was a tremendous time of crisis in our life, not because of anything that was happening between us. There were just many external things that were happening that caused such deep anguish and such deep pain for us. And we knew, like we could sort of see our relationship kind of um, unraveling and, and distance growing between us. And it became clear to me, like if we don't change the course of our Um, daily interactions with each other, we are really going to be in trouble. So the book was for me and it was for us as much as it was for any, with anybody else in mind.
0: Was it, is it meant to be geared to newlyweds or people who have been in the grind for some time?
1: It could be absolutely for either. And we've even given it to many couples who are engaged. I think because it's, it's such an honest book and it doesn't uh, descend into cliches or, you know, Christian platitudes. Yeah. It's, it's very vulnerable. It's very honest. And, and because, it's because of that and because it's also rooted in scripture and it also includes um, stories from eight diverse couples, there's a, mm. there's a reality to it that I think people can grab a hold of and understand um, what to do you know, they could take their own path. I'm not being prescriptive in it, but I think that there's a way that it offers them very concrete and very helpful information. So I would say it could be for for anybody who's been married five years or 25 or 35 years.
0: Well, how far into your marriage did you realize, like, this is going to take a little work? Like, it's not going to, you know, we're in love, everything's great. Like, was it like, people always joke, like, If you can get through the first year of marriage, like everything's fine. Is it like a week into it? You sort of wake up and go, oh my gosh, what did I do? Or or did it hit you down the road, like at a point of crisis?
1: Well, I think it's probably different for everybody, but there is this. Uh, reality to the fact that when we're it, when we're dating, when we start dating somebody, there's so many hormones that are flooding through our body; those feel good hormones, and those tend to last 18 to 24 months. So, if you think like the average person, you know, is engaged or dating for a length of time, and then early on in their marriage, it's probably about the first or second year that those hormones wear off, and you suddenly wake up and realize, like, oh my gosh, <laughs> why did I ever say yes? What was I thinking? Yeah, um, I think we all have those moments, and if and if we don't agree, or, or I mean, if we don't admit to that, I don't think we're being honest because it's hard. Right. You know, it's hard to to make two into one. We are two very distinct, very unique people. Christopher and I are so strong willed, and we're so opinionated about everything. Like not just about certain things, but we are opinionated about everything. And so we have had a ton of conflict. Do you think more
0: marriage fights happen over little things, or is it big things that that are Played out in little things. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, is it that you ignore the big things and so pick on the little things or is it just the nuisances of life that tip the balances?
1: It's both. Yeah. yeah. I think for us, the crisis, our first crisis came at year 10. And mm-hmm. it was during that time that I was in the middle of some health issues. We were homeschooling our kids. Christopher has always worked multiple jobs. So he was really um, pushing himself and exhausted. I also continued to work as a photojournalist Um, So we were both extremely tired, but we also got to the point where I think we realized that some of the behaviors and some of the expectations that we had for each other were completely unrealistic. And when we had a crisis around our 10th anniversary that revealed to us, like, we need to change how we're understanding our relationship. We need to change our expectations for each other. And that was... So hard. The work was so hard. The, the losses that we had to come face to face with were so painful. Mm. Um, but, you know, we recognized it. We got help and we worked it through.
0: Well, it's interesting because I think most people think, well, if you can make it to 10 years, you're out of the woods, right? You're going to be coasting after that. But really it's it's funny that it takes this long. And I, by the way, I know you don't want to make rules out of your experience, but I hear this a lot. I mean, I think this is a common thing is people at 10 years, like crisis happens, like exactly what you're describing. I've heard from many couples and, 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 and that's why I think a lot of people end up calling it quits at that point. And like, and, and, and so what were some of the expectations that like, or maybe even in your writing and experiences talking to people, what are some of the most common expectations that have to be killed in order to step into this next phase of healthy marriage? Well, I think it's probably easiest for me to
1: speak from my own experience, and I don't, I don't mind doing that. But so one of the things that's been hard for us is Christopher is a very practical person. Um, mm-hmm. He's not given to sentimentality, like at all. So the idea of romance, which I think is often highly sentimental in our culture, um, really bothers him. He doesn't like that. You know, he's supposed to give me Valentine's cards and a dozen roses. He wants to find his own very unique, very original path. Um, But I came in, you know, I grew up in the 60s and I watched every single Disney movie. And there's a very rigid prescription there for what women and girls are supposed to expect from relationships. Like we're supposed to be somewhat passive. We're supposed to expect the man to come and save us. Um, You know, his kiss is supposed to heal us of all of our infirmities (laughs) <laughs> um, there, there's really there's just so many expectations and most of us come into marriage completely unaware that we have them until we find ourselves in conflict or we feel disappointed. yeah so I think for uh, for me like I had to really say, you know, yes, I would really like to to have that kind of romance that is gushy and sentimental, but that's not who I married. And if I refuse to receive from him the very unique things that he wants to give me because he's not doing it the way I want him to do it, like that just feels really awful. And, right. and he feels like I'm judging him, which of course I was. Um So I had to get to the point of just saying, I I have to let go of that expectation for romance on my terms and let my husband love me the way that um, he is uniquely gifted to love me.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, I think that's huge. So, So almost like understanding one another sort of reminds me of like the five love languages, Gary Chapman. I mean, I know like that's been sort of overplayed in so many contexts, but there is a bit of truth to it, isn't it? Like to understand how a person feels
1: loved. Yes, absolutely. I think that we it's important for us to understand that, but again, we can't like demand that our spouse do it the way we want to do it. Like, right. Christopher so, is incredibly verbal. He's he is you know as extroverted as they come, and he probably uses ten times more words in a given day than I do. So we're we're a little bit flipped in terms of gender wow. roles there. Yeah. So he has had to learn to talk less and listen to me because being listened to is one of the key ways that I feel loved. And that's really hard for him because he would much rather talk than listen.
0: Right. Well, and how much of your expectations, like, do you sort of, you know, like in the Bible, we hear a lot, you know, we hear a lot of, I mean, the Bible teaches like this mutual submission. And of course, there's a lot of interpretation of like, you know, wife submit to your husband has or love and respect and all of those sort of things. And I know you have a very, you and Chris have a very um, egalitarian. Would that be a fair word to use? Like, like yes, mutually yeah, mutually submissive, submissive to one another. But like, in, in a sense, in marriage, somebody has to give, right? I mean, whatever word you want to use, whether it's submission or yielding, maybe is a better word. Um, how how do you decide who gives how much? Is does it seem unfair at times? Sure, it seems unfair. Absolutely, it seems- Do you approach it? I mean, in, in order to have a a survivable, healthy marriage, not just survival, but the thriving marriage, do you have to kind of approach it and going, I'm going to give up a hundred percent and whatever I get is, you know, or do you like how much is compromise? How much is absolutely yielding of saying, okay, God, I see that you've put this man in my life and I need to love him and and, and, and all this like, sort of, you know, talk me through that a little bit. How do you do it practically speaking without feeling like your rights are being eaten up or do you trust God with your rights being eaten up? Yeah. So I think
1: that it's important first, which, which I know you would, you would, advocate, or you would agree with me on this, that anytime somebody is being taken advantage of, anytime there's real abuse, whether it's emotional abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, that the, God is not asking us to, to endure that at all. So I just wanna make sure that that caveat is out there. But to say that I think that we are supposed to lay down everything, the entirety yeah. of our lives. Um, I love the way Mike Mason says it in the mystery of marriage, that marriage is like a backwards tug of war where both mm. parties are determined not to win, mm. right? So like, how do we outserve each other? How do we? How do I willingly give him what he needs to love him in the way that he wants to be loved But that doesn't mean that I have no boundaries. That doesn't mean that I have expectations of myself that I'm always giving to him and I'm never receiving anything from him. So I think that Mm -hmm. there's a lot of conversations that need to happen, a lot of, hey, you know, I'm really feeling like I need you to step it up a little bit more here because there hasn't been enough sex lately or there hasn't been enough conversations lately. You know, it's, it's a fluid, very organic thing that we really each marriage has to work through on its own terms.
0: Do you think marriages fail because one party says, no, I'm not going to work at it? Is that ultimately the the thing that breaks most marriages apart? You know,
1: I, I think that would be a really interesting statistic or study for somebody to do. My sense, again, this is just, you know, the very small sampling of couples that we have worked with over the years. You know, there's some obvious, yeah. very clear reasons that people get divorced, whether it's infidelity or abandonment, you know, which are the two that are listed in scripture. But I honestly feel like it's much more common that divorce happens because one or both parties um, just become entrenched. They, they have issues. They wait too long to get help. Um, their hearts grow hard. They grow resentful and bitter. And then you get to a point where it is too late. You know, they just are not willing to, to love the way Jesus is asking us to love.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine people might be listening even now and going, man, I want a healthy marriage. I'm willing to do that, but the person I'm with won't. And is that a form of emotional abandonment?
1: I think the- it is. I think when, you know, there's a couple that um or a single person that I've been counseling for the past year, and his um his situation is not like one could apply the biblical principles and say, you know, he really doesn't have grounds to, to leave his wife or to ask for a separation, but she has essentially communicated to him that she really just wants a roommate. She doesn't want it. she doesn't want a spouse. Mm-hmm um, and she treats him poorly. Um, there's just so many things that when I hear them talk about it, I think, ah, wow. Unless she's really willing to, to go to counseling, to work on this. I'm, I'm not convinced that the Lord would say, you know, you got to just stay in there. There's, I'm I'm not going to give you permission to leave. And maybe God would say that to him, but wow, that would be, that would just be such a very difficult situation to be in.
0: Well, and sometimes maybe people stay in it for the kids in those settings, thinking that that would be, which, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I don't know what would be better for kids in those situations, right? Right? Um, what, you know, I asked you, when I asked you to come and talk, to, you know, hope for marriages and whatnot, I'm, you know, I, we were a little reticent in this, in, in some ways, because you felt like, you know, you know, some of the questions that I asked were like, you know, I'm not the expert in this, you might want to think of so-and-so. But one of the things that you... I actually thought you were the expert and I really thought you were the perfect person. And specifically in that, I sort of put some generalizations that you were quick to sort of reframe. Like, I was like, you know, let's talk about how, why more than half of the marriages are ending in divorce. And even that little thing, you didn't let me let it slide. You you sort of were like, wait, 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 that's not true. Right. And, And I want you to talk a little bit more about that. How is the state of marriages in the United States and then in the church? How are we doing? Would you say?
1: Well, here's the thing that's difficult. So there's two things that we have to fight against. One is that there is this myth that the divorce rate is 50%. And the truth is the divorce rate isn't 50%. And it has never been 50% ever, ever, ever. So I don't know who came up with that statistic and why it continues to get bandied about with all this um, authority. But it's not true. Okay. So the other issue is when when they do these studies for divorce rates, they include people who have been married and remarried multiple times. Mm. And when you're divorced twice, it's like the incidence of divorce again and remarriage just goes up astronomically. So what I don't understand is why has nobody ever done a study where they're just looking at first-time marriages,
0: mm. and saying
1: what's the divorce rate there? And then even more specifically, why has nobody done a study that says um, what's the divorce rate for first-time marriages for Christians not cultural Christians because they've done those studies and the yeah. statistics are it's only like a little bit below what the you know general population is but to do a study that says what's the divorce rate for people who, are serious about their faith, like who were, who were praying, who believed the scripture, who believed Jesus' right. words, who were, you know, helping the poor, who were really walking out their faith. So just for fun, as I was writing this, um, the, the book that I just handed in, I thought, you know, I have a lot of fen- friends on Facebook. So I'm going to go through, I'm going to do my own little study. And I, and I picked 200 people who were mm. married. And who I know are serious about their faith, like really care about God. It's not just a Sunday morning thing. And would you like to guess what the divorce rate was for that group? 10%.
0: Eight. It's gonna be a little low. Eight.
1: Yeah. Wow. And I thought, yes, that sounds truthful to wow. me. Like when I look yeah. at you know, so we've been here in New England for almost 40 years. We've been part of uh, several different churches. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of Christian friends. And I think that 8% rate, I think, yep, that sounds about right
0: to me. Even well, if you doubled it and said 16 or 20%, that's still way less than
1: 50%. Right. And that's important because if we hear it bandied about that it's 50%, then we think, well, you know, it's 50, 50 chance of whether or not this marriage is going to make it. So I guess merely it doesn't there's no reason well, for me to work so that much hard.
0: cynicism about marriage and you hear it in the singles community like there is a lot of sort of like rolling eye rolling like what's the point of getting married right. when in fact marriage is created by god for a reason yes yeah what do you think is the main reason
1: i think it's for us to become one and to mirror a, a very unique um understanding of who God is. So if we think about the Trinity being three in one, and they're all very distinct, they're all very Mm. unique, they all have their unique roles, but they are all very much one. I think that there's a way that a really good, really strong Christian marriage also can mirror that oneness to the world Mm. in a way that's just really beautiful really beautiful. Yeah. And I also think I that it, it allows us, it helps us to learn what it means to love, like to really, really love, to love like Jesus loved. And I think that's his call for all of us. But mm-hmm. you know, in marriage, we, like, we can't get out of it. We can't say, you know what, I'm tired of this, and I'm moving across the country because I just want to change. Um, yeah. So I think that it, there's a unique opportunity for us to be like Jesus in the midst of our marriages.
0: Do you, you, I've always heard like the top three reasons for divorces are, end up being like financial disagreements, sex issues, and family. Mm-hmm. Would you say that's true? Maybe,
1: maybe. Yeah. I think, and again, even those issues, I think that they, like if you untangle them, what is it really about? It's really about, I would say control. Yeah. To some extent. Um Right. Because one partner wants, you know, sex every day and the other partner is just like, that's insane. How about twice a yeah. week? And, and right. there's those kind of conflicts where if we're not willing to let go of the things that we demand and find a happy middle ground, find a real authentic compromise,
0: then yeah, there's going to be conflict. Do you think the church community has expected women to yield more than men? yield in what way are you talking about? That, okay let's say you brought up like like any issue like yeah 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 i mean i mean in the, the given given you know like there's an argument there's a point of contention whether it's over sex or. and i'm really i mean and, and maybe i'm bringing like i think it may depend on what part of the church you're coming from but i really mean it generally in the united states western culture church culture i know that there's been a lot of sort of you know um even a shift in, you know, in conservative circles as to roles and and what maybe a lot of the traditional, you know, view of male and female roles in marriage have been. But up until in the last recent months, I'd say, would you think that most Christians would sort of expect if there is a point of contention, the woman should kind of give in to the man as more so than the other way around? Or is that just my baggage?
1: It's hard to say because I don't know all the people that you hang out with, you know, and what your spiritual background is. So um, I do think that there is an inordinate amount of pressure for the woman to submit. And I think that there is a way that faulty readings of scripture, faulty understanding of the through line, the arc of scripture can lead as we're seeing like again and again and again, right. In the me too movement of abuse that men um, patriarchal leaders uh, you know how many how many times are we going to read that news story where pastors have taken advantage of their parishioners? Like it, it, it's yeah. never going to end until Jesus comes back. But that really is about an expectation of a woman to submit to a man's advances in a way that is completely outside of the scripture.
0: Right. Well, go. Let's go back to Genesis three for a minute. So, like the curse. You know, Adam needs sin and God comes Faces, of, you know, there's a point of accountability, and then there's the curse, right. and so a lot of like that teaching comes from like, you know, men is going to struggle, the man is going to struggle for leadership, the woman is going to want to have more control, and so uh, going back to like that Genesis three angle, and 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 I think how much of it is rooted in that, and like and, and in general, when you think about that, how do you help men become stronger leaders in the context of marriage? Is there work in the church being done? to help men besides like going on a retreat or blah, 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 you know, how does a man learn to be a loving leader? And I know neither of us is men per se, but I mean, you're married to a man and and you've, you've been in pastoral care for years. What do you see done in the church to help men become loving Christ-like leaders? Well, let me just
1: go back to the, the first question that you had about um, Genesis 3. I think that when we read that, yes, there is a way that people misunderstand that and assume that it's prescriptive, you know, that, that's what God is saying. This is what is going, this is what I want to happen. Or this is what is going to happen from now on because of the curse, as opposed to no, it's descriptive. Like this is a, the result of the fall. This is a result of sin. And mm-hmm. our job is not to capitulate to that. Our job is to fight against that and to get back to the pre-fall state. That's mm-hmm. that's my understanding of that. So any, anytime there's a, there's a way where people are using scripture, um, misusing scripture as a way to control power. And we see that of course right. in the race conversation, as well as in the gender conversation, I think that that should be suspect and our red flag should be going up because right. my understanding again of scripture is that the ground is leveled at the foot of the cross, mm. that the Lord is calling all of us to to treat each other as equals to not have hierarchies. I think when, when, when I read through the new Testament, like every single hierarchy that was there it feels like Jesus is saying, you know, right, Galatians 3.28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or female or female. Those were the three main divisions where there were hierarchies. And God is saying, I'm taking those walls down. Amen. So that to me is the goal, and that's part of the goal of leadership, that's part of the goal of the church, that's part of the goal of marriage. In terms of men... I think like yeah it is it is unaddressed far too often and I think that, that that does you know it's about power like they don't want to give up not this is not all men not all churches by by no means I am I am not someone who engages in misandry, which is the opposite of misogyny hatred of women um I I love and I appreciate men but I have also seen men misuse their power and their authority far too many times and it's really devastating it's always devastating yeah.
0: Well, you have sons. How many sons do you have, Dorothy? We have three sons. And one is getting married soon. Right. Yep. couple weeks. So what are you advising him? Like heart to heart talk with your son? What are you telling him? These are three things you must not miss. What would you tell him? Well, what comes to mind immediately,
1: there was a time when we were at a playground with all three of the boys and our oldest one who is... um, very strong willed. He's very much like us and very opinionated. He was trying to get this little girl to do, you know, play with a truck in a way that he wanted to play with the truck. And she said no. And he just kept like badgering her. And I just got so indignant. And I went over and I pulled him off to the side. And I said, this is one of the most important lessons I'm ever going to teach you. When a girl says no, she means no. And you have to listen to her. Awesome. So it's been, you know, they have definitely grown up in what many people would derisively say a feminist household. But I think that what they have seen is that I am a strong woman. Christopher is a strong man. He is by no means passive. And they have seen us work through conflict, they have seen us have disagreements and yet, um, you know, hash it out and come back together loving each other stronger than we were before. Mm. So that's been a really important thing for them to see that modeled. But as we were just talking with um, the son who's going to get married in two weeks, and, and one of the things that both he and his fiance were saying is when you do, because my husband and I are marrying them, when you do the homily, it's really important to us that you talk about what does an egalitarian marriage mean. So mm. how is it that we can love each other? How is it that we can make sure that both of us are fully flourishing? And I think that to me is key. What does it look like to have a marriage where both the husband and the wife are fully flourishing?
0: Hmm. That's good. And the other two are, are they anywhere near getting married yet or are they still? So our oldest has been married. He got married
1: when he was 20. He, got wow. married, he was only two years into school, which was so totally different. I was almost 31 when I got married. So that was not like that was our story. Mm. Um, but he and his wife met the first week of college. They soon started to date and it was clear that they just this they were ready, they really wanted this and they were talking about it not as a capstone, but as a cornerstone, and they felt like they wanted to grow up together. So Mm. we said yes and bless them. So they've And you understand
0: college, right? And not too long ago. Yes. What um, would you advise single people to hurry up and get married or to wait? Like, don't rush it. I mean, tell us about some of the joys of your marriage. You sound like you're obviously very, you, you respect Christopher and you guys have a strong and stable marriage. Um, I think too many people talk about the challenges of marriage. What are some of the big joys? The companionship, the
1: stability the faithfulness, like just seeing him faithfully support me year after year. You know, I've had health issues for 18 years now Mm -hmm. and he has just not wavered in his support of me. He's not ever shamed me because I'm now much more limited than I was when we got married. Like when we got married, you know, Mm -hmm. not long before that, I was the one who had biked down the West coast alone. Um, And because of the autoimmune issues that I have now, like I can't camp anymore Um, I live with a lot of pain. So his acceptance of, and love for me is just, it's so healing. Um, Mm. and it's just been really beautiful sex, obviously great, great, great Mm. perk of being married. Um, yeah, I think all of those things, uh, I, I'm, I'm. Totally an advocate of marriage, and I, I you know, I, I grieve when people. There's so many. I know so many single women who really, really want to be married and who aren't, and see so many men who are not engaged, or uh, you know. And again, this is not to throw men under the bus, but the pornography is such a huge issue that they're having their sexual needs right. met, you know, through the internet. Um, and and it takes them out of real relationships. It pulls them away from what could be. And it also creates a false sense of, um, it raises the bar so high that this is what a woman is supposed to look like, or this is how she's supposed to respond to me, that then they discount the amazing women who are right in front of them, which just mm. is so sad. It's so sad to me.
0: That's, uh, that's so true. I mean, I think that's, um, in a sense, what do you, what would you tell, I was at a conference recently and we had a Q&A for singles, and they were asking uh, what I thought about women pursuing men. What would you answer to that? Should a girl ask a guy out? I,
1: I don't see any scriptural reason why that shouldn't happen. I mean, if you read the story of Ruth, and in particular, Carolyn Custis James' book on Ruth, um, which is a fabulous book, I think that it seems obvious that she was the one who was initiating that relationship. So again, I think that that's a culturally bound expectation that somehow we Western cultures, I don't, you know, I don't know if that's the case across the globe, but certainly here in the Western Christian church, there is the absolute expectation that women are supposed to wait for men to pursue them. And I I don't see real scriptural evidence that that should be how it happens.
0: Yeah that's interesting. I um yeah, I mean I had I, I'm probably not as encouraging of women to do that because I think we tend to be more assertive and aggressive to begin with. I really do. I think that women in general have that tendency. And so it sort of sets a tone in as long as you're comfortable in marriage to be the one in- initiating a lot of things and if that's the case. But I like the the thought about Ruth because I agree though. I don't think there's a general bible do or don't. Uh, some people might use that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. But you kind of go back to your thought of Of You can make scripture say anything you want at the end of the day, right? If you come to it with a preconceived idea of what you want it to say, right? I mean, I think that's the hardest part about, and and really, you got to talk about marriage. Isn't that the truth about communication and relationships? You can approach anything with the end point in mind, as opposed to true listening, which might really indicate listening to what a person is saying. And that's to me
1: why conflict can be such a blessing because it's in the midst of those places where we're rubbing up against each other and it's painful or it's awkward where we can say, okay, we're having conflict about this. That's an indicator, not that there's something wrong with us, but that we're not seeing something properly or we're refusing to acknowledge what the other person's perspective is. And I'll just give you a quick example. So. My family, culturally, is from Northern Europe, England, um, Scotland, and Germany. And Christopher's family is totally, totally Latin. They're from Southern Italy. Um, They have what's called, we, we learned this term recently, time optimism. Christopher sees time as a metaphor. So I do not see time as a metaphor. I see time as something that needs to be obeyed. So early on, like the first two years in our marriage, we had so much conflict about what it meant to be home in time for dinner. (laughs) <laughs> he would set a time, it seemed obvious that we were in agreement, and then routinely he would be half an hour, 45 minutes, even 60 minutes late. And I would just get so mad at him, and not just mad at him, but I would judge him as being morally inferior. So it was really, really important for us to to pay attention. And when we finally got to the point of saying, you know what, we are having this conflict way too many times, we have got to figure out what's going on here. And when we mm. could unpack those cultural expectations that we had in the ways that I was legitimately judging him. I mean, yes, he mm. needed to be a little bit better about, you know, minding the clock, but I also needed to grow in terms of not feeling like I was a better person than him because I'm more clock centric.
0: Yeah, that's good. Do you guys once a week set a time to talk about like, the things that are bothering you guys, or do you wait till conflict happens? You know, do you have date nights where you go, okay, here's the things that we need to address now every month? Every,
1: I think season. we deal with things as they come up, and that's I think one of the one of the key issues that I would so encourage couples is that when you have a conflict, don't ignore it you know, the biblical mandate to not go to bed angry, I think that's a great idea, but it doesn't always work. Like when you have Mm -hmm. young kids or like me, if you have health issues, I can't stay up until two o'clock in the morning talking about a conflict. Like it's just, that's going to be more um, harmful for me, but we always bookmark it and say, okay, you know, like we did not finish this conversation. We still have more work to do. Let's make sure we talk about it this weekend. Um, So for us, it's just there's something going on. I feel like there's some tension between us. Let's find a time to talk about it. And earlier on, when we had the three kids in particular, then we had to be a little bit more intentional about saying, you know, Sunday afternoon, we typically would have an hour where we discuss how Are you yeah. doing? What's what are the needs that you have this week? What do I need from you this week? Um, it's like a business meeting, really. It was it was not by any means a date. It was a business meeting where we talked That's
0: about. Funny. That's good. What we when need. do you decide to go to counseling? Like, what are you know? I think there's still a lot of shame in oh, the church.
1: Yes. Yes.
0: The- what are some parameters or should every couple at some point sit down with the council and say, Hey, let's talk about the state of our health. And I, our marriage. Yes.
1: I think that if people, if people would choose to do it proactively, it would be so much better for everybody. And I think you hit on something that's really important, that there is a lot of shame in the church. There's this expectation that we all have it together, that we're all doing great. Um, you know, you read through social people, social media feeds, and it seems like, wow, like everybody is just fabulous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But one of the things that we have learned is when, when I see somebody who is unrelentingly posting happy pictures of their marriage, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you that they are in real trouble. Um, it's almost true, like they're right? trying to convince themselves. So I think that if we could, as, as Christians, if we could get to the point of saying, no, like we were created to need. And, and mm-hmm. if we didn't need, then there would be, you know, why would we follow Jesus, right? Like yeah. we follow him because we need him. We need to be redeemed. We need to be transformed.
0: Mm-hmm. And if
1: people could push through that shame and to say, you know, I want real healing and I want real health more than I want the appearance of health. I think that, you know, marriages and the church, quite frankly, would be very different.
0: Do you think there's hope for a person who's been married two or three times already and still is hopeful? Like maybe they're now not in a marriage. Is it like, is there a point where it's time to call it quits your stink at marriage? Or would you say, no, there's hope of transformation and of having a healthy marriage still?
1: I think there's always hope of transformation until the Lord, the day the Lord calls us home. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. my sense is that he has created us to continually grow, to continually change. Um, What I would say that if somebody was on their third or fourth marriage and had not done counseling, they had not done the hard work of meeting with a spiritual advisor or a life coach or somebody who could help them understand, like, gee, what has happened here? Um, I think that that probably would be a recipe for failure.
0: Yeah, that's good. What's your next book about?
1: So the next book is Marriage in the Middle. It's going to be published by InterVarsity next year. And it really is talking about what are the unique challenges and joys and surprises that we
0: face in the middle of life as married couples. That's good. That's awesome. And so your first book is already available. And why don't we give away two copies of that today? Great. Do you have Bible studies, Dorothy, that go along with it? Or do you do a lot of speaking? Tell us more about some of uh, the ways that you spend your time right now.
1: Yes. I do a fair amount of speaking. Christopher and I do marriage conferences. I speak at mom's groups. Um, we do marital counseling. We've recently been talking about potentially doing um, distance marital counseling because people have been asking us about that. So I think that Great that might idea. be in our future. And um, I also work as a photographer. So that takes up a good amount of my time. Um, mm. Yeah. So I, you I do like, weddings
0: and what kind of photography do you do?
1: You know, I used to do weddings and I love them because it was so like, it's such a rich event to photograph, but now, you know, I'm almost 60 and the days, like to do a wedding is eight to 10 hours of work. And I just about two years ago thought, you know what? I think I'm too old for this right now. So I am no longer photographing weddings.
0: That's good. Uh, How can people reach you? So
1: if somebody were to go to my site, which is Dorothy Greco, that's greco with one C.com. There's a form there that they could email me. Um, I'm also on social media. I don't hang out there a ton, but um, Pinterest, uh, not Pinterest, sorry, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, you can find me in any of those places through my website.
0: That's awesome. Uh, you've given us so much to chew on. You are a well of wisdom, Dorothy, and I knew you would be. Uh, I, I feel like our conversation came to end quickly. I still have honestly a ton of questions about marriage. I'm going to bring you back when your second book comes out, or around that time. 2020 is not that far away and so let's let's have a follow-up conversation in the meantime it's just been so much fun to get into your brain a bit thank you
1: (laughs) thank you thanks for having me
0: yeah, guys, if you're listening to this still, um, I just want to just say you guys have had an awesome season in podcasting. I think this is like the 30-something podcast. I will write it up um, so you guys can keep track. We're going to take a couple months off. We'll be back in the fall. Exciting new season of podcasts. If you want to reach me in the meantime, Lena at livingwithpower.org or plenty of resources for you at livingwithpower.org or download our app, Living With Power. Uh, I love you guys and uh, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He is our hope, whether you're single, married, divorced, widowed, or looking. Uh, Have an awesome summer. I'll talk to you guys soon.